Welcome to Maudible, the audio short story service from South Mims U. This edition's short story comes from our sister college in Dawkins, New York, and is written by Ricky Byrne. It's called The Imagination Game. Grandpa Mitch called his typewriter the Proserraptor. It looked like a dinosaur skeleton. He made the word up out of prose, which is what he wrote on the typewriter, and Velociraptor, the amazingly fast and deadly dinosaur that lived, like, 75 million years ago. I know that because Grandpa Mitch got me interested in dinosaurs when I was 7 years old. My dad, Mitch's youngest son Kyle, would leave me at Grandpa's big old rambling house every Saturday morning while he went to work at the Magic Sprinkles Cake Shop down on Main Street. If you ever have a son, Grandpa would say regularly, don't have expectations. Expectations never turn out the way you expect. They told us at school that your dad would end up running a multinational corporation. Instead, he works part-time designing cupcakes. Beautiful cupcakes, I'll grant you, but cupcakes nonetheless. I love cupcakes. Everyone loves cupcakes, I once said. I must have been eight years old, and just learning that talking back to adults wasn't such a bad thing. You've got a point. A very good point. A salient point. Grandpa liked it when I started talking back. Talking back was good so long as you made sense, he would say. Talking back just to say something never did anyone any good, he'd say. Grandpa Mitch looked like Santa Claus in the off-season. He would have a haircut twice a year, New Year's Day and July 4th. He said, I'm Christmas in July, and a cliché by Christmas. His white hair was like the frayed end of an electrical wire. Like when some old appliance is ripped out from the wall and the cable hangs down looking just a little dangerous. Grandpa Mitch would look just a little dangerous at Christmas and in the run-up to Independence Day. He used to write detective stories. He had written over 40 detective stories for boys while he and Grandma Molly were raising their kids in that big old, rambling house. My Grandpa Molly corralled the kids. There were five of them, two boys and three girls, in what used to be a small convent way back in the 19th century, St. Rita's. Grandpa Mitch bought the place from the last remaining nun an ancient hunchback nun called, not surprisingly, Sister Rita. It was in the 1970s, when property around here was cheap. It was a fixer-upper for a saint, Grandpa Mitch told me. But I'm no saint, he added. His brother Pete fixed it up. He was a saint. Grandpa kept the old stone cross which had stood outside the tiny convent for 124 years because it was a local landmark. Every Saturday at St. Rita's, I would get a tingle that rolled down my neck to the base of my spine when my dad turned the corner. And I could see the cross. By then my grandma Molly was dead. She died when I was two years old, so I never knew her. She looks happy in all the pictures I've ever seen of her. Grandpa told me her laugh was the sweetest laugh any woman ever had. An honest, simple laugh which made you believe that life was full of richness and goodness, he told me. He would always look as if he was about to cry when he talked about Grandma Molly. She put up with my writing those stupid books. She told me they weren't stupid books because kids liked them, mainly boys. And they paid the mortgage. You can't argue with writing that pays the mortgage, he would say. Grandpa Mitch would take me through the house, which from the inside looked crooked, like the builder had changed his mind halfway through construction, and we'd go out onto the back porch, pick up a tray with lemonade for me and whiskey for him, and we'd walk across the lawn to his writing cabin set in between a line of tall trees. Grandpa had stopped writing his detective stories for boys twenty years before, but he liked to keep writing. 
not for any real purpose, but to keep what he called his imagination engine going. You see, what Grandpa Mitch taught me was that imagination, he didn't like to call it inspiration, because that sounded too easy. That imagination was like an engine. But not an engine made of cogs and levers and microchips, but of blood and brains and muscle. And you had to keep it oiled with life, by that he meant reading and seeing and walking and talking. He told me that when he bought St. Rita's he looked up the story of St. Rita herself. The real saint. I went to the library. In those days you had to get off your butt and go somewhere to find out something from a book. And by getting off your butt you might get two or three stories for the price of one. The one you were looking for, and one about the musty, fusty old librarian who might be a fugitive from justice hiding in the dusty stacks, and the girl who sells you an ice cream who's destined to be a movie star. Grandpa believed that the imagination engine was powered by the imagination game. That's when you use random things and events to make up a story. Any story. He would say, anything can spark a story, and the life of St. Rita sparked a great story. It turned out that the nuns who started the old convent were inspired by St. Rita of Kasha, who lived between 1381 and 1457 in Italy. The day she was baptized a swarm of bees were seen around her crib. They were climbing in and out of her open mouth, but she was happy and totally unharmed. She was marked as special and, as was the custom in those days, married off to a rich man when she was really young. He was killed because of a feud with another family, and Rita forgave them. But the husband's two brothers wanted to continue the feud and began to plan more violence. Rita prayed to God to stop them, and they died suddenly of dysentery. Rita was grateful to God because he'd stopped them committing murder which would have sent them to hell. Grandpa said, There's a logic there that makes sense, but it's a twisted logic, and I like logic that twists. Anyway, so Rita lives this saintly life, and when she turns 36 she suddenly gets levitated from her house and transported to a monastery where she lives for the next 40 years. It's said that Jesus took a thorn from his crown and pierced her forehead, and the wound could be seen there, from then on. Grandpa Mitch thought that story was so great that he used some of the details in one of his first detective stories for boys, The Mystery of the Holy Beehive. I've read it, it's great, and a little strange when you know where the idea came from. In it, two feuding families argue over lost treasure, and two boys, one from each family, decide to try and stop their parents hating each other by finding the gold and splitting it equally. They are both fascinated by bees, and they discover that the treasure has been hidden in a beehive all along. Ideas can come from anywhere, Grandpa Mitch told me almost every Saturday. And almost every Saturday we played the imagination game. It worked like this. During the week Grandpa Mitch cut stories from newspapers and magazines and put them in an old cigar box, which he said had belonged to the nun who sold him the house. She smoked these big old cigars. You never saw a nun like this nun. She looked like a wrestler and swore like a trooper. No wonder the sisters of St. Rita ain't the sisters of St. Rita anymore. Along with the clippings, Grandpa Mitch would put things he found on the street in town when he went for his work each day. Discarded bus tickets, little plastic toys kids had dropped from their strollers, hairpins, receipts from various stores, crunched up shopping lists, anything he'd happened to find would go in the box. Then he'd shake it up and ask me to pick four items. I had to have my eyes closed. But I could feel what they might be, and so I always took one object, one bit of paper, one clipping, and then any other thing that felt interesting. We'd lay it out on a square, white handkerchief. And I'd have to stare at the four things in silence for five minutes and then make up a story which Grandpa Mitch would type out on that skeletal typewriter. The Proza Raptor is eating this up. 
He would shout if the story was a good one. You're sprinkling stardust all over the place, my boy. Can you hear it? At the start I couldn't hear it. But I could feel it. It was the feeling that you're really making something that works. Grandpa Mitch said it was a cliché, but clichés are fine when they work. Don't be afraid of clichés, he would shout. Oftentimes he'd go to the window of his cabin, open it, and cry out into the woods, clichés don't grow on trees, you lucky trees. I didn't really know what that meant, but he told me that the trees appreciated the reminder. So, once the story was typed up on heavy almost yellow thick paper, we'd let it sit for a while. You've got to let a story sit for a while so it can cool down and set. Like a cake or a pudding or a pie. You don't eat those things when they're hot. You've got to wait a bit, take a taste, and maybe add a little salt or sugar. So, we'd let it sit. I drank my lemonade and he'd sip the whiskey. He always offered me a sip of whiskey but the one time I agreed to try it, my tongue burned, and I coughed for ten minutes, and my head felt fuzzy. He laughed. It tastes better in your second childhood, he said. And then we'd read the story out loud and if it had stardust we'd feel it. And I even imagined that I could hear it, just as Grandpa Mitch said I would. And, I guess, I really did hear it. In my mind. If you can see a story in your mind, the characters and the scenes, then you can hear them too. Those Saturdays were the best Saturdays of my life. At least, so far. I'm still only 12. But though I hardly ever write a story now, I still play the imagination game. It's something I do when I'm walking to school, or waiting for my turn in gym class. I go back in my mind to the old convent, in Grandpa's cabin. My dad started a cupcake business and he made money from it. A lot of money. Finally, those expectations were fulfilled. Much to Grandpa Mitch's surprise. So, there was no need to leave me with him on Saturday mornings anymore. That made me sad. I know it made Grandpa Mitch sad too. He gave me the old nun's cigar box and it sits on my shelf. I don't dare use it. I want to keep it just the way it was when we played the imagination game. Then, last week, my dad got me out of school because Grandpa Mitch had a fall. He was taken to the hospital, and they said he would be fine, but something happened. He got an infection and suddenly he was in a room connected up to machines that beeped. I went to see him. The room was small but very blue and bright. Grandpa Mitch looked half the size he was the last time I saw him. It was the middle of June and so his hair was like the frayed cable again. Almost Santa, but not quite Santa. Santa with his finger in an electrical socket, Grandpa Mitch said when he saw me. His eyes were wet, like he was about to cry, but he wasn't sad. There was a monitor clipped to his finger, and wires that ran from around his chest to a heart monitor. Its beep was regular, almost calming. Grandpa asked me, you want to do one last imagination game? Why would it be the last? I asked him, my heart beating fast because, suddenly, I was afraid of this place, of this situation. You know when your brain seems to dive off a cliff as you realize that the cozy life you thought you had, is about to change? This was one of those situations. You could just see it in his face. It was gray. His skin looked like the old paper he used to type our stories on. Okay. So maybe not the last, specifically, Grandpa said. Let's play. His voice was still strong. Still Grandpa Mitch. But we don't have the box. I left it at home, I said. Think of this room as the box. Okay, so what have we got in here, said Grandpa. We've got, I said. Um. I looked around, and then started the list. 
We've got the bed, the curtains around the bed, the heart monitor, the bedside cabinet, a bowl of fruit. What is that fruit? Kumquats. I asked for kumquats, said Grandpa. That was just like Grandpa Mitch to ask for kumquats. I always want to spell kumquats with a Q instead of a K, he said. It should have been a Q instead of K. So, maybe that's the story, I said. Tell me the story then, boy. I thought a little, then looked at the heart monitor, and at the fruit, and then a nurse opened the door and peeked in. She saw me and smiled, and closed the door again, satisfied that all was well. Come on, there's no time to waste, Grandpa Mitch said. Okay, here goes. This old, crusty guy, goes into hospital, I started. Good, I like that, old crusty guy. That's me in the story, I guess, Grandpa said. No, just an old crusty guy. Okay, so he's in the hospital and he's on this heart monitor, and he listens to the rhythm of his heart, and it reminds him of when his grandfather was sick a long time ago. And he was just a boy, and all he remembers is that his grandfather wanted kumquats, because they were his favorite fruit. So, he asks his nurse to go get him kumquats. Now, because the grandfather was a really important man. Grandpa Mitch interrupted and said, Maybe he's an ex-president or something? Could be, yeah, someone who used to be really important, so the nurse thinks I must go and find these kumquats. So, she goes down to the store and there are no kumquats. And she goes to the market and there are no kumquats. And she can't find any. She starts to cry, and this young guy sees her crying and he asks her what's wrong and she says she doesn't want to disappoint this important man, who is an ex-president, on his deathbed. He really wants kumquats. Maybe it's something to do with his childhood. Whatever it is, she wants to get it. So, this man helps her, and they fall in love, and they get back to the hospital, give the kumquats to the old man. And the nurse and the young guy get married. A bit schmalzy, but nice, said Grandpa. Kumquats are the meat cute. I think that will work. Grandpa was tired. He yawned. He shifted in the bed a bit. Then he sighed. Did you hear the stardust? Not quite, I said. It'll come, he said. Then he closed his eyes, and seemed to fall asleep. I sat down and waited for my dad to arrive. The heart monitor kept going. But then, something bad started to happen. I didn't know what to do. Suddenly, the nurse was back, and a doctor followed her. I stood outside. And then... Then I knew. He was gone. The stardust came. I wanted to shout out. It's a cliche but cliches are fine if they make you feel good, just like grandpa used to. I kept it to myself. And I made a promise that I'd never stop playing the imagination game because, without it, life isn't worth living.